Hey everybody, just before we get started, I want to apologize a little bit. The sound may be a little bit choppy because Eric and I were recording in the office at the school and we had the phone ring a couple of times and students come in a couple of times. So we had to hit pause and do a little bit of editing on our part. So other than that, enjoy this episode. Welcome to episode 49 of the Northwest Method Express and I'm with Eric today. Hello, Eric. Hey, Jonathan, how are you doing today? I am fantastic. It's actually stopped raining and it's Friday. It's your Friday. Well, yes, you have to work. Uh, so we wanted to chat a little bit today. I was going through the list of podcast topics and for some reason this one got left passed over for other things. And it was our top ingredients that are sort of overlooked or misunderstood or just generally not liked by people. And as we were talking about this, most of them are actually vegetables, but there was a protein that I wanted to throw in there. But the first one that we thought about was the turnip. So I have to preface this by saying I'm Scottish and in, for Scottish people, turnips are essentially rutabagas, which you boil the snot out of and mash and then maybe have salt and pepper in them. And that is the extent of it. Please tell me there's more. There, there, there is more. I, mean, I know there's more. <laughs> there's I know more. there's more. I just, that was my plaintive cry for help. And, and the, the thing is like, you know, we, we think of, you know, when you hear the name turnip, you think only think of one vegetable, but really within the turnip family, there's a, there's a lot. A ton. Right? And so like, you know, if you're gonna boil something to be quite honest, if you boil the crap out of anything, it's not going to be good. No, no, it is not. So I think it's misunderstood because of, you know, how you've experienced as a child. Yeah. But now as you've grown a little bit older, you've gone to culinary school, you know, I think yes. your, your palate has definitely changed and you realize like, hey, if you roast this vegetable, yeah. it brings out all its natural sweetness. It still maintains that distinct peppery notes that it has, mm -hmm. but it's so much tastier. Well, and you talked about this too, was, I mean, the whole turnip family, I mean, we you run the gamut from anything from a radish all the way through to a daikon, right? And I think for a lot of people, they don't think about those things. And you think about the, the variety of cuisines that, that are using a turnip where people don't even, don't even know about, don't even think about. Exactly. And you kind of said it perfectly there, it's like, there, once you start looking at the turnip family and just seeing the different cuisines that you, it can be applied to, yeah. it makes that vegetable so much more interesting. And when treated with, you know, the flavors of a country, uh, it is muy delicioso. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know this was a Spanish class. Oh, I didn't know either. But that just came out. Right? That just came out. But actually one of the, the really cool things for me, I, I think of there's two in the turnip family that really do it for me. Daikon is one where you go from everything on the, on the raw side, from raw to pickled, things like that. But you go all the way to the other side, which is something like a, a turnip cake, which is phenomenal. If anybody's ever been for dim sum, I guarantee you that you never would have thought that a turnip cake or daikon 
was going to be something that you could, you know, you could really get. If you've ever been for dim sum and you've had a daikon cake or a turnip cake, it's you would never know that it's anything that's in the turnip family. I, I, I agree. And really, there's there's two things about turnips that I think are, you know, and daikon especially that yeah. are, you know, misconceived is A, daikon can take on so many flavors. I'm going to give a little shout out to Brian who made an amazing salad with right. raw daikon. Yes. And it takes on like amazing flavors. And the other thing is it can be eaten raw, like you mentioned before. It doesn't have to be nestled And one of the best things I've eaten in terms of daikon lately is this dish from Robert Lee. Oh, yes. Right? From, from the Global Restaurant. He did a, a tuna dish that, that was served with pickled daikon. Mm. Mm-hmm. Lean, pickled daikon. Lena and I actually said the star wasn't the tuna. It was the daikon. <laughs> well, that is a compliment. I'm quite sure that the, you know, the money folks would have preferred that the tuna be the star, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, and something else, I think it's, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's in the turnip family, which is one of my favorites, is kohlrabi. Is that in the turnip family? Uh, let's do a quick, I think yeah. it, it might be. I think I'm going to talk about it anyway, because yeah. Yeah. it's it's one of those things where if you haven't had kohlrabi, it's definitely a must-go-to. It is in the turnip family. It is in the turnip family. Oh, it's also called German turnip. Another one of those ones, the only thing you need to, if you're ever preparing it, the skin is actually, under the skin is actually a hard layer that looks like the white of the flesh, but it's actually very, very tough. So you have to make sure you uh, peel that off as well. You're generally going to have to peel it with a knife. But the inner part of the kohlrabi is very tender. It's excellent raw in salads or cooked braised things like that so so that was a lot of time talking about turnip so another if we're going to talk about another root vegetable let's go there let's talk about beets Ooh, very very underrated in terms of vegetable i mean i think when we we talked about this briefly like when people who haven't experienced a fresh or a good beet they immediately think of what a canned Canned beet? beet or a jarred beet that is completely, you know, made with white vinegar, not even white wine vinegar, made with white vinegar. Most people that if we ask them in our basics class, how many people like beets, half the class will not put up their hands and then we'll ask them why and they'll say because beets are disgusting because they've only had, you know, pickled beets. How do you eat your beets? I like to eat mine roasted, and I'll roast them in a sheet pan covered with some tin foil, and I'll simply put a, a couple of things in there, some herbs. And here's the funny part, and you know, mentioned like you know, vinegars, but like a little bit of red wine vinegar really does go a long way. And I'm not saying pickling it, nope, but just enough to kind of help bring out the sweetness that is in that beet. I mean, when you first eat a raw beet, it seems very earthy and very like almost. You definitely feel like or taste like it's from the soil, yeah. but as that roasts, the sugars just concentrate so much, yeah. and it's just so sweet, and it's just nothing like that horrible beet that you find in a jar. I love to eat them raw in salads. They they tend a little bit like turnip. They tend to have a little bit of a of a, a kick to them mm-hmm. when they're raw. So what else do we have? Let's, oh, I wanted to talk about our favorite, Brussels sprouts. So for me, I have, I have, a, I have a good friend who I went to university with 
who calls Brussels sprouts little balls of sewage. (laughs) (laughs) Because his mom used to boil the snot out of them, and they were just like little mush balls. I, I know Scott. That's that's a very graphic, you know, description. But you're right. Or he's right. You know, I think for a lot of people out there, their experience with Brussels sprouts is terrible. Terrible Brussels sprouts served at Thanksgiving and Christmas. When you have any vegetable or anything that's boiled way too long than it should be, it, you're not going to have a good experience with that. It's got no flavor. It's got no texture. It's going to be sewage. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So what's the solution? I, I mean, you know, one of, the, one of the things that you and I learned when we were working at Culinary Capers was, you know, giving it a very good vinaigrette or dressing, mm-hmm. but also part cooking them so that they're not fully mush. Yeah. And then putting them into a hot pan to give it a really nice char. Yeah. Yeah. Cut them down the middle. So you get, you expose that beautiful center Mm. and yeah, put a really great char, sear, you know, you could put them in the oven as well. Mm. All different kinds of options. Totally, totally agree on that. And the whole purpose is to develop one of your favorite things. Maillard reactions, right? Maillard reactions. So what would you, what kind of vinaigrette would you make? So bacon Mm. with a little bit of extra bacon fat instead of, instead of olive oil. Maple syrup, sherry vinegar. I was, I was literally <laughs> just sitting there waiting for it. I knew you were going to go with the sherry vinegar. I knew you knew it. Uh, you but knew it. It, it's, it's, it's so good. Yes. It's so good. And like you're basically making a bacon vinaigrette with sherry yes. vinegar. Like, yes. is that, can that be bad on anything? No. no. Right? It so, can't. especially with Brussels sprouts, adding that char to offset that slight bitterness, yeah. it really does help bring out the, the, the little bit of sugars that are in the Brussels sprouts. Yeah. And then by adding you know something that's a little bit rich and tart at the same time, it is just stunning. That sounds very, very delicious. I'm surprised you're not adding a little bit of mustard in there. No, no, no mustard. Okay. But here's something else that people, I think, completely overlook is the raw Brussels sprouts in a slaw are amazing. And you could, and it, you could use that same sort of bacon, maple, sherry vinegar, vinaigrette, and toss raw Brussels sprouts in that, and it would work just as well. Or you can incorporate them into an existing cabbage slaw. It's actually a practice in, in the curriculum for the professional students, or basically, mm-hmm. you know, trying to figure out Brussels sprouts in every way possible. And you're right, one of my favorite ways that they actually discover is making a slaw of those Brussels sprouts. Yeah, fantastic texture, and then again, adding that like vinaigrette that you're talking about—that's a little bit more chilled. I mean, that is a recipe for deliciousness. Yeah, and the third thing, if we're going to talk about what's in the pro curriculum, the third thing is actually peeling the leaves and deep frying those leaves, so you get beautiful crunchy uh, accents, and then you can use that as a garnish on plate. Mm-hmm. So, so the the long and the short of this is. None of those things taste at all like little balls of sewage. (laughs) Thank God. I did want to go back and just talk quickly about turnips for one second, because one turnip we didn't talk about was the Tokyo turnip, which is, it's about the size of a baseball, I want to say, maybe a little bit smaller, but they're so tender. They're almost a little bit like, they're more like kohlrabi than they are like other 
turnip like like a rutabaga or anything like that but so amazing raw in salads what would you do with it if you didn't treat it raw like that Tokyo turmeric what would you oh, do you, to highlight it well I, I mean you could quarter it you could roast it toss it again like in a vinaigrette like we were just talking about with with the Brussels sprouts yeah I mean it's it's amazing mm-hmm. and still talking going back talking about turnips radishes we really didn't talk that much about radishes so many people just talk about radishes eating them raw doing that quartering trick roasting tossing in vinaigrette works so well for them too yeah a friend of mine who is actually not a cook but does a lot of cooking at home he told me he actually braises his radishes i could see that working yeah i could totally see that working they you know the the soft consistency but they 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 would hold their structure as well Mm -hmm. so i think it would be very good yeah huh so the last thing i wanted to talk about and this one depending on where you are in the world the name can change a little bit but is a and it's not a vegetable it's a protein and that's the sirloin steak Mm. so the sirloin is if you imagine the back end of a cow so the middle of the of the cow is your short loin and your tenderloin and then a little bit further up towards the head is the rib those three pieces of meat make amazing steak and amazing roasts but butted right up against the short loin is the sirloin and the the tenderloin actually runs the tail of the tenderloin actually runs into the sirloin and i have a friend who is very cost conscious and she will go from store to store to try and find the lazy butcher who gives you a little bit more strip loin than sirloin in in the piece of meat and you can you can tell because it literally they'll sell it as sirloin but it'll seem a little bit more marbled it'll look like a strip loin and you can you can if you really want to 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 dig deep you can try and find those things to me the the flavor of the of the sirloin is as good, if not even a little bit better than the strip loin. Strip loin is generally my favorite. The problem is, is it's not as marbled. So it is a little bit tougher and it's a little bit less forgiving if you're gonna be on the barbecue with it. It is more, it, it, it's, I tend to maybe do a little bit of a marinade with it rather than with the strip loin, which I generally just do with salt and pepper, and that's pretty much it. And it's not the same as a top sirloin. Top sirloin generally is a roast. That's right at the at the top end of, of the sirloin. The sirloin we're talking about is a little bit lower on the, a little bit lower piece of muscle. And where it's located in, in the, the steer there, I mean, it, it's got lots of flavor, but like you mm. said, it just doesn't have the marbling. Yeah. Would you almost marinate it like a flank steak, or was that too far? Yeah. You, you could definitely do that. I don't think you need to do that. Anybody who uh, lives in Western Canada who's ever been to the keg, you generally are going to get, unless you pay premium prices, you're generally going to get sirloin when you order a steak from them. Interestingly, if you go to your grocery store and you see a baseball cut of meat, generally that baseball cut is a piece of sirloin cut to look like tender it it is certainly not anywhere near as tender as tenderloin 
but it, in a lot of ways is more flavorful than tenderloin. You just need to know and be aware that it's it's a slightly tougher cut of meat. It's it's definitely from a working muscle. I think Jonathan just put a, a hit on his on himself. Well, I think the ke- the keg's gonna be upset at him for breaking down their secrets. <laughs> oh well, that's you know that's that's okay. We, we, we already have other issues. But, I mean, and then, you know, I think the biggest thing is we're teaching people how to cook steak, yeah. which is putting the keg out of business. There's a lot of fine dining restaurants out there that are doing amazing things. Personal opinion, I don't, I don't go out for steak. No, uh, no, no. We, do, we can do a better job at home. And to be quite honest, buying those two or three steaks that have been already processed just doesn't make sense anymore. Buy yourself that entire strip yes. or that entire sirloin. Break it down, and you when you break it down that way, you're gonna get so many more steaks at a more reasonable price. And then all that trim, I've saved all my trim that I have. Yes. We're gonna make those into something else, like, you know, look for some burgers coming down the line. Absolutely. You know, and I, I think that's a very good point. You know, you can get AAA beef vacuum sealed at Costco, as an example, for probably 10 to $12 a kilo cheaper than buying the individual steaks and you can get rib roast you can get a full strip loin roast break it down yourself and you know speaking of that you don't have to cut them all into steaks no you can cut yourself roasts that you know a strip loin roast is amazing and you know what you would pay at you know the keg for strip loin you could definitely buy a third of, of an entire loin mm-hmm. from Costco. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, go out for dinner, support your local restaurants, but they're they're making their money on steak mm-hmm. off of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did you have anything else that you wanted to talk about there, Eric? Uh, I think you covered the topics really yeah. really well. I hope that you know we might be able to revisit this down the road and yeah, think of other things that are underutilized or underappreciated. And if anybody has anything that they want us to talk about that they think is underutilized, send us a note, happy to do it. All right, so with that, everybody, we will put a close to episode 49 of the Northwest Method Express. Thanks so much for listening and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you wanted to find out more information about the school, you can check us out at nwcav.com. Or if you want to find out about our online courses, you can go to the northwestmethod.com. Catch you next time. Bye-bye.